Talk Herdy to Me. Taking a deep dive into Border Collies and other herding breeds, helping you play to their strengths, minimize their weaknesses, and understand their quirks. Listen in to learn for leading training and behavior experts on how to set your dog up for success, understand your urban herder more, and hit those training goals. Hello and welcome back to Talk Herdy to Me, the podcast where we play to their strengths, minimise their weaknesses and understand their quirks. Today we have the wonderful Danielle Beck with us, who is a clinical animal behaviourist. She has Danielle Beck clinical animal behaviour, but also Control the Meerkat. Control the Meerkat is a relatively new working project, which is really collaborative projects where there is trainers from all across the north working together to help traumatic or reactive dogs. So hi, Danny. Hello, how are you? <laughs> I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very happy to be here. Yeah. So obviously we work together. I am one of your rehab trainers. You um, and Control Meerkat is it's quite like a, a, a quite a new, almost revolutionary kind of project in terms of the approach that we have of working together and working as a team rather than just individuals, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Because you, you find that our industry is so isolating in the way that we work. And some people can be very kind of almost territorial in their nature and don't want to share things and share ideas in case people steal them. And I'm just not about that at all. I want everyone to be able to work together and share their ideas for the better of the dogs. Yeah, 100 percent. So obviously, control the meerkat. There's a little meerkat that's kind of everywhere. Who is it and what is he about? (laughs) So the little meerkat, he has a name. His name is Maurice. And the idea came about because I'm obsessed with neuroscience and especially when it impacts trauma and PTSD and those kinds of things in people and how when you live with that kind of illness or condition or however we want to refer to it, you your brain is wired differently and trying to explain how the brain can change and how your emotional brain can take over can be really difficult for clients. So rather than going into that kind of in-depth thing, I now explain it as a meerkat. So the meerkat basically represents a person's amygdala, the hippocampus, um, and the thalamus are kind of all meshed together. So the bottom part of their brain that's that emotional reactive brain that tends to take over in periods of fight and flight. So I like everyone to kind of think that every dog kind of has a meerkat on the shoulder. And they're kind of up there on sentry duty, looking out for any potential threats. And your dog can either have a calm meerkat, they can have an alert meerkat, or they can have an active meerkat. Um, the dogs that seem to have no problems in life whatsoever have a calm meerkat. So their meerkat's basically asleep on their shoulder because the world is safe to these dogs. They're nice and confident. They are happy. You know, nothing goes wrong. If something spooks them, their meerkat wakes up. They'll have a little bit of reaction. But the brain is able to communicate really effectively with the meerkat and go, oh, it's okay, everything's fine. And they go back to sleep, they shake it off, problem solved. Whereas other dogs, if they've had a bit of like gaps in their early socialization, if they've had a few not so good um, experiences, they can have a bit more of an alert meerkat that tends to be a bit more a sentry duty. They kind of keep a lookout for stuff and they tend to respond to things a bit faster, um, but they're usually able to manage and control themselves a little bit. Whereas those that have an active meerkat are the ones that are usually the ones that you and I see. The ones where something's happened either in their life that's caused them some kind of trauma or they've not come from the best places where they've not been able to develop. And they're dogs that have quite a pessimistic outlook. And these for these dogs, the meerkat is basically alert and on sentry duty all the time. And as soon as they see something, they just keep getting hijacked 
by the meerkat and that will just make them react like a Tasmanian devil on the lead or make them chase things or make them run away from things. Some of them will freeze up. But they don't have that conscious that conscious control because of the way that their brain is wired. Is their, their conscious thinking brain isn't able to actually help. So when we're trying to train, we're we're not dealing with a with a calm, rational dog that is able to make a response. They just react. And that's what control the makeup's all about, is we have to teach our dogs how to control their makeup before we can actually train them. Yeah. And I think that's really prominent in terms of I think a lot of collies, especially adolescent collies, oh gosh, yeah. many of them have a snoozing meerkat. No. Um it's just it's the breed they are very alert breed anyway mm-hmm. uh, and also it's adolescence adolescence is a bugger of a time at the best of times yeah for a dog that's being bred to be super alert and if we're not careful we can start getting these meerkats going from just awake into those alert meerkats and becoming really reactive because that's kind of where you really start to see reactivity really kind of take hold with most mm-hmm. dogs is adolescence yeah really- absolutely um, because the thinking brain at that time like the the ability for the brain to kind of cross laterally towards each other um it goes away so they're very impulsive they're very risky and they can't control so their ability to just pause and think is almost hijacked so they get hijacks all the time because they just do stuff and what we do in control the meerkat is all based around kind of self-regulation so is the dog able to just pause and just take a breath can they look at something and look away can they cope with just doing nothing and learn those ways to kind of self-regulate because the more they practice those sorts of things, it helps them be able to control their inner meerkat so they can actually think. Because once we kind of quiet that meerkat down, they can hear their own thoughts, they can make a response. And that's the difference between dogs that are able to form a response than those that just react. Because the reaction ones, there's no thought process there. And if they're not thinking, we can't train them and we can't expect them to listen to us in those situations. No, and this is what I always say to my clients when I'm working, whether it's a reactive dog or a car chasing dog or whatever, mm-hmm. is I always say you have two dogs. You have your cognitive thinking collie where yeah. they are able to listen and learn. And yeah. then you have their emotional brain, which is the meerkat. Mm-hmm. And that is basically they're overtaken and people are like, oh, well, it's, I can't do anything with them. And I'm like, we well, can't because it's not conscious. They're yeah. not actively thinking, oh, well, if I do this, this will happen. It's, oh, my God ah self-preservation mode and it's not an actual it's not a conscious decision for the dog and I think that's something that a lot of people really struggle um to understand unless themselves they've had issues with anxiety or something like that because anyone who's had an anxiety attack understands you have no control over that thing no absolutely not and that again is our emotional brain taking over and that is unless you've experienced that for yourself you're kind of like oh well does it does it really happen like that and when you've had that yourself, you're like, actually, yeah, yeah, it really does. Yeah, I'm not- absolutely. And it, yeah. it's awful, but it's kind of, it's giving people that understanding as to why their dog is doing it rather than just saying, oh, well, this is what it looks like. We're going to deal with it this way. It's understanding why their dog is doing it. Absolutely. Because if people are, if your dog's in that situation and they can't, they can't think, that means that they can't train. And one of the biggest things that we get is we use a lot of food in our work. Um, or a lot of toys and plays things to build in the emotions so often when our dogs are reacting we'll be scattering food on the floor we'll be distracting with other toy people like but are we like teaching them that the reaction is like going to reward and reinforce the behavior the point is at this point because they're not consciously there it's not their thinking brain they're not learning we, we can't they can't learn they're not rewarding things all we're doing is give them access to coping strategies to get that thinking brain back and then yes we can train them but in the moment 
we we need to control that makeup otherwise our dogs aren't going to be able to learn no and it's building in those kind of so we say with us with the urban herder we work a lot with collies mm-hmm. and majority of collies that we work with it's there is a lot of toy based stuff coming in yeah. because they are so movement driven and stimulated by movement that we can use it to such an advantage yeah. um but it's making sure that kind of you can use it in training, but at certain points it's used as management. It's used yeah. to control the meerkat, to manage the meerkat so that the dog just doesn't go flying because then they're not yeah. practicing the behaviors. Because every time they practice the bad behaviors, neurotransmitters fly, that neural pathway strengthens and yeah. it creates a stronger behavior. However, exactly. if we can control that meerkat, keep him at bay, whether it be with food or toys, like I say, with most collies, we generally use toys for stuff yeah. like that. It's just management and it's no different than putting your dog behind a car or that's, again, management. But it just looks as if we're reinforcing the wrong thing to the untrained eye. But actually, when you break it down and actually look at how dogs learn, how mammals learn, yeah, uh, that it's it's not capable of doing that. Yeah, they need to you need to give them an outlet so they can regulate themselves in the most effective way for them. You yes. know, so whether that's throwing food, throwing toys, giving them something, running away and get them to chase you rather than the car. Um, you know, with spaniels, we get them to sniff. With collies, we tend to get them to chase something that's appropriate. And that's that management thing. And then in the background, we do all the stuff of a, can we teach you to chase? Can we teach you to control your chase? Can you look at something and look away from it? So then they learn how to, how to think and manage themselves away from the context so they can learn how to control their meerkat and then we can apply it to the situations that they struggle in. But yeah. we can't expect them to do something if they've not learned how to do it out of the situation. Exactly. And that's like we have our uh, collie collective, which is our online community. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the training, like we have our car chasing collie uh, course, we have our off switch course. And a lot of it is kind of interfeeding into one another because... Yeah. A lot of it is teaching your dog skills, like the ability to manage frustration or to be able to look at something that they really, really want, like a toy, and not just bounce up and snatch it and actually manage themselves and check in. Yeah. They're all like foundation skills because it's not necessarily behaviors, it's skills for me. Yeah, um, absolutely. Dogs learning to manage themselves rather than you having to constantly manage them and support them all the time. We want them to kind of learn for themselves how to do it exactly because if they're if they're always cued and told what to do then when they're not being told what to do they have no idea what to do and so many dogs at that point they, they just they don't know what to do so they start pacing they start whining they start bringing you stuff and they're like i don't know you're not telling me what to do something and that itself can create a problem whereas if we do more of the self-regulation stuff as you mentioned you know teach them to think for themselves teach them to learn that they can switch off without us telling them that they have to yeah. that it makes them able to make those choice decisions for themselves which strengthens their ability to think and keeps that make at bay yeah and it's like we I always say it's I always describe it to clients as lazy training and I'm like yeah. I'm an obedient dog I don't I want a well-behaved dog not an obedient dog yeah so it's like, exactly traditional training it's all about obedience it's getting a dog to sit when I say sit walk nicely yeah. when it's on the lead come when I say come it's all do as I say whereas yeah. for me I'm like yeah, do what you want as long as it's appropriate so I yeah. let's teach my dogs through context and lots of capture and reward yeah. and things like that of shaping their behavior into the dog I want rather mm-hmm. than hammering obedience and being like you sit when I say sit you do this when I say that absolutely and it's building that and you've got kind of obviously with this control the meerkat there's a lot of stuff that comes under it where you have five meerkats that kind of help explain yeah. 
the different responses that different dogs have. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you want to kind of introduce everybody to them? Yeah, absolutely. So the five makeups are based off the fight and flight response of mammals. So we have we have our fight meerkat, um, who in the images, he is dressed up like a Viking. So he is very much a, I'll get you before you get me, kind of on the go, ready to to charge in and and just get the thing, dispatch it as soon as possible. We have our flight meerkat. Um, he's dressed as Mercury, one of the Greek gods that flies, that, that zooms around, um, because they're the ones that want to get away from the situation as fast as possible. Um, we then have our freeze meerkat, so he's very much just frozen, like a stick figure. Um, so many dogs, they don't know what to do, so they'll freeze. And some of them will freeze for a long time. Others will freeze for a second, and then they'll react into one of the other meerkats really, really quickly. Um, you've got full. And then we've got Fawn. And Fool and Fawn are my favorite meerkats because the ones that are so, they're not as strongly well known as the others and they tend to not be viewed as the meerkats that they are. Um, so our Fool dogs, these are the ones that whenever they get overwhelmed or they get scared by a situation, they mess around. So they'll chew on their lead, they'll jump up at their owner. Um, they kind of run around in zoomies. They'll bounce into other dogs and back away and they just get so overwhelmed that they don't know what to do. So they try and make everything into a game. And it's like, no, nah, you don't mean that. Come on, let's play. Or I don't know what to do. Let's play. And sometimes people find it really, really funny. And it is really funny. But we kind of have to have a look at, is this dog genuinely playful and happy? Are they nice and loose in their body language? Or is it very fast and darty? Because if it's fast and darty, it tends to be the one where they're overwhelmed and they're just trying to appease or control the situation. In that, in that way. you see it a lot in spaniels spaniels are your big mess around um yeah. kind of breed and yeah. it's just, it kind of I, I suppose it's to do with their breed patterns in terms of that quartering yeah. things like that um which i always find like with collies that i always found collies are a little bit more of a serious breed oh um, absolutely they are they are very much those kind of serious work things and if yeah. they they have a job to do and they will do it and they're so they're so in tuned and bred to if you're threatened you chase it away mm-hmm. so that kind of their fight and flight is really really closely linked because a lot of them will run at something to chase them away to increase distance so they can run away mm-hmm. they're not really a fighty dog but they will chase out of fear because yeah. that's what the if you think of them kind of with their natural herding if they're stuck with like a stubborn you that won't move mm-hmm. they'll run at it mm-hmm. And they're not running at it to to attack it. They're running at it to force it to move so they can then continue their pattern. So they tend to be seen as very highly reactive dogs when they're just they're just doing what's natural to them. Yeah. Um, but you do see a lot of the fawning behavior, which is our last meerkat in some collies as well. And fawning is where they get super wiggly and overly appeasing. So they tend to wiggle on their butts and kind of butt, do like the butt shuffle. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a, they'll get really low to the ground some of them will kind of go on their back and it's basically a don't hurt me I'm friendly mm-hmm. and then it kind of goes from don't make me hurt you I'm friendly and you'll see some collies in particular where they'll kind of they'll get almost they, they look submissive in their behavior where they'll kind of go on their back they'll roll over they'll show their bellies they'll do that little bit of like a smile with their teeth and then they'll snap that is Aoife <laughs> but Aoife fawns about and she's like please don't hurt me please don't hurt me shit you've come too close bang yeah and she'll and it's it's generally she's got bad hips obviously yeah, and yeah. It's when dogs go near her back end so if they come over she'll kind of wiggle 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 oh no oh no and she'll do a big kind of curly cushion 
and then they'll go yeah. near the back end and it looks like it pops out of nowhere but yeah. in fact and there's generally a little freeze and very very little sort of she'll show her teeth she'll do yeah. a little smile and it's really subtle body language yeah I see it but a lot of other people don't like oh your dog's just attacked my dog and I'm like actually your dog ran up to us and then she gave hell of a lot of body language and your yeah. dog ignored every second of it and then she then it went near her back end yeah um, exactly and it's the classic situation where a dog kind of rolls over and someone goes to fuss their belly and it's yeah. like this isn't a dog that's asking for a belly rub right now this is a dog that's that's scared he's overwhelmed he's going back off give me some space I don't mean you any harm but like they're in that state and they will if push snap at you and yeah. but you'd look at them and they're very tight in their body language when they do this and they're they're kind of wiggly but you still see all those kind of muscles yeah yeah pipes is kind of a mixture between that fawn and that freeze where yeah. she will she kind of freezes up and then if things keep pushing she pushes yeah. into fawn and she's like oh god oh god oh. and it's it's it is it's panic it is pure yeah. panic and it's it's being able to kind of step in for her and say actually you don't need to take this any further yeah. um so like if dogs come up and I see her starting to do this I'll body block them I'll stand yeah. in front of, between her and the dog and be like nah not today and I'll say go pipe walk on run on and she'll yeah. run off um but I also see a lot with a lot of collies is there's elements of these five meerkats coming in but then you also have the herding instinct coming in yes. where the amount of collies that I've worked with they're actually lacking in confidence around other dogs but they end up getting too close to the dogs because that dog's moving and it needs to control movement yeah. and then it goes to one of the five meerkats as yeah. a strategy of oh no I'm too close now ah and then yeah. the meerkat pops up and goes hi I can help yeah. you um <laughs> Yeah, and then our poor colleagues put themselves in situations that they can't cope with. They get overwhelmed. The makeup goes, I can do it. And then they get told off because they've put themselves in that situation. And with colleagues, you've got to really understand why they do the behaviors that they do so you can help them to control their own behaviors. Because so many of our colleagues, they're in pet homes. They're not bred for for pet homes. And we can't change their genetics, but we can support them and go, you know what? You don't need to herd hair. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you could here have this thing that you can control be it like your ball or your access to something um but so many of them are just such controlling little dogs because that's all they know and that's how they that's how they feel safe that's how they reduce their own anxiety and it's trying to teach them that they don't have to control things is a really good start for some but you've got others where the that work ethic is just so ingrained in them that you have to give them something that they can control and they can have the outlet and they can do it safely you know, whether you're doing something like sheet ball um, or give them other kind of self-control type games. So they've got that ability to go, OK, I can do this here and then I don't do it here because colleagues are wonderful when it comes to context. Like so often we can just teach them these context specific things and yeah. help them keep those meerkats at bay. And I think it's quite hard because I think a lot of a lot of collie behaviours just gets mislabeled all the time. Yeah. In terms of people aren't fully aware of what the behaviors actually mean so a lot of stuff gets mislabeled as herding and trainers are people who are not as aware or not as informed about stuff like oh well your colleague's just trying to herd I'm like actually not your colleague's conflicted your colleague that's why they're doing that it's a coping strategy yeah yeah well they're not actually trying to herd to control movement they're herding to cope and although it's kind of the emotion behind it's wrong yeah, absolutely. I feel like collies need to have their own collie meerkat yeah. that has like another kind of flight response where whenever they get overwhelmed as a breed, it's a let's herd something because herding makes us feel good. Yeah. And then that puts them into situations they don't want to. And the conflict 
causes the reactions because the the brain can't cope with conflict. So then it will switch into into makeup mode, yeah. and that will cause the reaction. So yeah. it's 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 like if you need to hurt something when you feel conflicted, that's fine. But let's hurt this mm-hmm. and not that. <laughs> let's see you to come away from those things. And that's where things like sheet balls and things like that can be so beneficial to mm-hmm. the breed because it feeds everything that they've been given for. And like for Jasper, it was a massive, it was a massive kind of turning point for us when we started doing sheet balls and building that into the environments where he was struggling. So yeah, yeah we'd take him to the park, but we would then go and we might do a bit of rehab work, getting him to just focus on us, getting him to just be okay. And then he'd get a big game of sheet ball. And then it wouldn't matter what was going on. He would be aware that there's things in the environment, but he had a, a, a an a co- appropriate coping strategy that helped him complete that stress cycle. Yeah. And it helped him so much with building it into his rehabilitation plans that it's 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 brilliant. Exactly. And that's how we build resilience is they need to be exposed to things that they can cope with at a level that they can cope with. You know, so with Jasper, he would be kind of in the situation of like, oh, there's something over there, but I can cope with it because I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. And then that feeds into that resilience and helps them cope. And it's making sure we keep them at that level. You know, we wouldn't expect them to do it in the middle of a football game, but we could do it, you know, other side of the field while there's one person there and then gradually build it up. Mm-hmm. So it becomes their coping strategy that they can deal with. And then we yeah. can build on extra duration stuff and go, can you watch this for a little bit longer? Great. Now we can go and play. And then a bit longer. And now, and it, it works very much with the dogs. Yeah. And I suppose that's kind of what is kind of underpinning control the meerkat is resilience. It's yeah. teaching these dogs that are traumatized for whatever reason or reactive or whatever label you want to stick on it. Yeah. Um, that actually you can cope with stuff and giving them the tools to do that. Yeah. Um, because a lot of them, for whatever reason, don't have it or or have never learned how to or have yeah. learned how to, but in really inappropriate antisocial ways. Exactly. So we we help we teach the dogs to help themselves mm. to make the owner's life easier. Because like yourself, um, I'm a very lady dog trainer. I'm disabled as well, which doesn't always help with the dog training. So we do lots of capturing and things. Mm-hmm. So our dogs, they learn. I give them choices in the environment, but you kind of build up really good behaviors. So I know that I'm almost guaranteed that in any context we go to, their default is settle. Yeah. it's uh, Our default is just switch off unless we're told to do something else because that's what we kind of really heavily reinforce with them. So they can make those right choices. And if they make the wrong one, like, that's fine. We'll just set it up again and let them make the right one. But the more you can allow dogs to make the the choices, they get to regulate and control themselves. And all that helps to control the makeup because they're not going to get overwhelmed in these situations because they have those skills and they know what to do without having to wait for mum. Because if yeah. they're waiting for their parents, their caregivers, whoever you want to call it, to tell them what to do, sometimes that just and you see it in dogs, they're in a situation and they'll look for guidance and the guidance isn't coming. And then they start reacting because they're like, oh, you haven't told me to sit or you haven't told me to watch you or you haven't told me to lie down or whatever it is. And they don't know. And some of them are just, it's almost like some are scared to make the choice for themselves in case they get it wrong. So I'm currently working with a Malinois um, who is owner is amazing. Okay. Um, but unfortunately, at some point in her past, she was sent away to a residential training program, which oh. was not the most pleasant shall we say it Mm -hmm. wasn't methods that I would particularly use or in fact I would never use um and they hammered obedience now this dog wow the level of obedience this dog has 
incredible. What she yeah. cannot do, cope with the environment. So yeah. unless her dad is there saying, sit down, watch, look at me, every second, two seconds to support yeah. her and manage her through the environment, yeah. she's like, oh no, oh no, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And she, she can see it's like panic. Um, yeah. And what she does is she'll then buff. She doesn't react. She doesn't go, Arr! she just goes, yeah. buff. I don't know what's going on, buff. And it's yeah. it's a, a worried, unsure back. Yeah. Um, and it's just because she's never kind of been given the opportunity to to do stuff and to have much agency in what she does. So we've obviously we're doing lots of training with her, looking at teaching her to regulate, but also we've started doing stuff. She's a Mali. She's beautiful. Yeah. Doing loads of scent work with her because scent work Play. is so beneficial for dogs in terms of it gives them agency it gives them choice and it's one of the only dog sports that we do where we kind of let them off in the room and they are in complete control we do not manage them in any way shape or form and we kind of because we if it's a true blind search we have no idea where that is no we cannot cannot guide them we cannot shape it we cannot do anything at that point we just have to trust in the training and that's the beauty of um scent work especially for dogs that are lacking confidence because it gives them confidence in their own decision and it shows that we have confidence in them yeah. um, and I think it, it's such a beneficial thing to do with dogs regardless of whether they're reactive or not but oh gosh yeah so useful especially for dogs that do lack confidence or are um struggling with the environment because again along the lines of the sheep ball it's kind of saying, yeah, there's that going on in the environment, but we can focus on this game here that you love and you know and you you can do really, really well at. Yeah, absolutely. And it helps them regulate themselves because it helps to alter their breathing rates and they have that trust. And it's the one thing, as you said, that we do where the dog's in control. Like they can smell it, we can't. So you have to trust your dog. Mm-hmm. And the confidence they can get just from doing scent work-based activities and just snuffling things is wonderful. Mm-hmm. And it's something that we do a lot of um uh, control the meerkat as you know it's one of our foundation skills that everyone kind of pretty much has to learn <laughs> with some form of scent work and most people once they start it it is an addictive thing that you then just um, want to do more and more and more of yeah because it starts with simple stuff like food just yeah. finding food around the house finding if you've got a toy that's toy driven a uh, dog that's toy driven getting them to find a toy but then like you say you end up getting the bug and before you know it you've got your dog on a scent or finding con or little yeah. tiny bits of tennis ball and building yeah. it up. And it's I think it's quite an accessible one as well in terms of it's something you don't have to have a lot of equipment. It's not particularly yeah. expensive. You can do it in the home. So if you are having limited mobility or whatever, you can do it and your dog does all the work. You kind of step back and say, off you go. Yeah, you, you just get to sit and watch them be themselves and yeah. see their confidence growing. And even dogs that are a bit unsure on the on their paws, it's great for that kind of proprioception because they learn to kind of step on different objects as they as they find the search and jump on things and off things until eventually you get dogs that will jump up, up on cars and check the windscreens. And and it's just wonderful to see their confidence grow as they start to learn that they are in control. They get to do whatever they want in this context um, because they're searching and they're able to look at other things that they normally react to and go, you know, what? it's not a problem because I'm busy. I'm doing this. I'm enjoying myself doing this. And if you've got your dog on a particular scent that is one that you can keep with you, so like a bit of Kong or a tennis ball, I love five it when so if you're surprised on a walk by something, you're like, oh no, you can quickly just throw that scent item behind you and go, there might be a search here. Have a look. And the dog's like, wait, what? Mm. And then they can come back and they can start searching. And it's like, oh look, I found my piece of Kong because you know, you keep it in a pocket at all times in like a little tub, or you keep a tennis ball on you or whatever it is or worst case scenario some food but just something that you can go look we can do this thing here and you can take it 
to different places especially when you're doing like rehab work it doesn't have to be the cleanest training in the world it's what works for you guys because like like you said there if your dog's got into an environment that they're going to struggle with or you think actually you need a bit more support you don't want to be getting your tweezers out and putting it in a bit of a wall and it being really clean and 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 not contaminated and things like that it is it's rough and ready scent work when it comes to rehab and that's all it needs to be it doesn't need to be pristine and clean and perfect because you're not training piles and fancy stuff it's it's just the dog yeah you can do that later if you want to but you know i i really struggle to go past like a dry stone wall and not hide something in it for my dogs to search yeah because it's just it's it's such an easy setup to do for dogs I did that around here, I'd really struggle because you've all, got a lot of them. All dry stone walls around here. Yeah. I'd literally, my, I've got dry stone walls around my garden, up to my car, everywhere. I would yeah. literally <laughs> never leave where I lived if I did that. Yeah, because I base like more in like a city type area, so we get a lot of proper brick walls. We don't get a lot of dry stone walls. We either yeah. have like sheep fencing or bushes. So as soon as I see a dry stone wall, I get really excited. Yeah, and I no, think my dogs are getting to the point where they sometimes see a dry stone wall now, and they're like. <gasps> Mom, is there going to be something in there for us to sniff? <laughs> yeah, no, see, we, we live on the back of the Pennine, so it's rough, ready, open moorland, yeah. lots of traditional dry stone walling and things like that. So we're, we're really spoilt for searches, but yeah. sometimes just having the motivation to do it, I suppose, as with anything. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, in terms of the control of the meerkat, obviously you, you we're working together as a team. There's There's three four cabs now there are three cabs and we have two provisional cabs that have just joined the team that are working up to become full cabs so we're helping them well helping to support them on their journey yeah and then we also have a team of rehab trainers there's There's, two at the moment there's four rehab trainers in total one of them um has had to take a step away because they've got a new job yeah Um, and one is having a little bit of a break for a childcare thing, but hopefully they will come back. Um, yeah. But we will be recruiting more as we kind of get more courses and stuff done because we very much want it to be a collaborative thing where yeah. we can just help and support each other. And if, if someone's struggling and they're like, oh, I'm not sure if this needs, needs like a clinical eye um, because like we're not better than anyone else. It's just we know different. Yeah. Sometimes just passing it so as we can go, okay, yeah, you're on the right track. Let's have a tweak of this, and then we can work with the person to really build them up. And we just really like that collaborative approach because sometimes having someone else look over what you're doing can be so beneficial. And it's what I love about working in a team. Is yeah. sometimes I'm like, oh, am I missing something here? And I can pass it on to someone else, and they could be like, no, everything's fine. I'll go. Actually, have you thought of this? Because I had a case last week, and it, it was really strange, and this was a thing. And yeah. it's just nice to be able to share those ideas without any kind of worries of of backlash or people stealing your work and that kind of thing that quite happens <laughs> that goes on. We're very much more of a supportive community. Yeah. And I think that's the thing with the dog training industry is I don't think many people have actually thought up something new in a no. very long time. What they have done is repackage, remodel, rebrand, remarket yeah. stuff that's kind of been going around for a very long time. They might tweak it to add their own spin onto it, but yeah. the fundamentals are the same. Yeah, it's just what gets across to people. Yeah, there's very few things that are that are brand new. Most of the things that we do can be taken back 20 years to probably about the same four or five people. And yeah. then everyone has just adapted it or tweaked it or new science has come around and gone, oh, if we tweak this list a bit this way and that 
you know, and there's some stuff that I do that I know who it came from and I'll reference them where I can. There's other stuff where I'm like, I have no idea where this came from. Others are things that we've done one thing. It didn't work for that dog. We tried it in New England. Oh, this works really well. And then we've created our own version of something. But yeah. there's nothing that, there's very few things that are brand new um, in our industry and everything tends to just cycle around. Yeah. So it's it's just share your ideas a bit more because even if you if you have created a brand new thing, no one's going to be able to explain that to someone else better than you can because it's your thing. And I would much rather someone, you know, take my stuff and teach it to people. And if I don't get credited, I don't get credited. It'll annoy me a little bit, but ultimately the information's getting out there. And that's the that's the primary goal is that the information gets out there and the more dogs are helped. Yeah, um, exactly. It's just it's building accessible ways for people to help their dogs at the end of the day. Cause mm-hmm. they, like we've seen it with collies, like the amount of people that have collies nowadays has absolutely boomed and specifically yeah. in the pet environment. Yeah. But obviously, like we've said, this this isn't necessarily the breed that definitely isn't the breed that's being bred for pet and companions. Yeah. Um, and there's more and more collies as society changes and our expectations on dogs changes. Yeah. Um, there's more and more collies that are needing support and needing help. And as long as you're not hurting your dog and you're doing it in a nice, pleasant way, yeah. I don't care you work with as long as you get the help that you need and at the end of the day you're helping your dog so that's all that should matter is that dogs are having a better life they're living a happier life they're living a more fulfilled more comfortable well-rounded life with their owners as well because it's not just stressful for the dogs absolutely and you know no one gets a dog because they want to to become well very few will get a dog because they want to become a dog trainer because they want a reactive dog that they can work with you know, quite often, a lot of us, we get a dog because we want companionship. We want to be able to go on nice walks. We want to enjoy their company. And then when you end up with a dog that is reactive, it changes your whole perspective of things. And it forces a lot of us to then become dog trainers as we go on that journey about how to help and support them. But sometimes we pick the breeds because we like them or because we thought we liked them. And we don't often honestly look at our life and situations there's very few of us can go, actually, a Border Collie, that's the perfect breed for my flat in the middle of the city centre. Yeah. Um, they can live in those situations and they can live well with the right support. And it's it's making sure that you have the right support for the breed that you have and you've got the access to be able to give them everything that they need. Otherwise, have a look at other breeds that are better suited to that. Yeah, and I also, I think there's obviously different breeds have different looks. And obviously yeah. looks comes into it. But I also think there's a lot of misinformation out there. Um, mm-hmm. like one of the biggies is that I see with clients all the time is, oh, collies are really smart. I thought it'd be really easy to train. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, you, you've got a really smart dog, which means they can pick things up really quickly. And that can be good things and bad things. And before yeah. you know it, you could have a bad behavior that's escalated way beyond what you ever thought very, very quickly because they do learn so quickly. And yeah. they are so sensitive and um, and I think there is there's kind of that misinformation of oh well you just need to run a colleague group for two, two hours a day and it'll be happy and things yeah. like that are out there that actually isn't true there's so much more to it but yeah, then the spectrum you have like people who are diehard colleagues should always live on a farm and that's it there's so many colleagues that live out is in a pet capacity that are perfectly happy my yeah. dogs are mainly pet yes I have sheep I do work them um but they are 90% a pet and they are very happy and fulfilled and content yeah. um, but I think it's kind of making sure that you do do the proper research yeah. um, and it's 
just because a dog looks a certain way or you think it's going to be a certain way or looks similar to another breed doesn't mean it's going to behave the same way. Exactly. You have mini American Shepherds. I do, yeah. Which kind of look like fluffy small collies. They do look a lot like fluffy small collies, but But they are not collies in any way, shape or small. (laughs) They are so sensitive, like so sensitive. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're not particularly herdy. They look similar, but they're very different. They are very different. The amount of people that we've had that have been like, oh, well, we wanted this breed, but we we decided to go for a collie because we thought it'd be easier or it was cheaper or whatever. And it's doing your proper due diligence, really. Yeah, and it's looking. And if you like a particular look of a breed, usually there's other breeds that will look similar, mm-hmm. that will have different traits that are easier to cope with. Yeah. Um, you know, so with my minis, is I adore border collies, but I didn't want one for, because... I'm still not over the loss of my last collie, even though it was years ago now. Yeah. Um, but it's also that kind of obsessiveness that some collies can come with. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted something that was less herdy, that yeah. was just as smart, that looked very similar, yeah. that I could do stuff with. Um, and some of them are sensitive, others are really confident. It depends on your lines, but yeah. they are more chilled out and switch yeah. off easier. And they're smaller. And because I had a young child, it was a it was a no-brainer because I didn't want as much of that herdiness and that chase behavior around a young child because you're then going to end up with inappropriate nipping and stuff. And they will try and herd, so they will, if they get really stressed or wound up at something, you can see the herdy thing come out, but it's not their go-to, which no, is what I, I find think... really fascinating with them rather than the collies. Is collies are like, oh, I'm stressed, herd it, whereas these guys will kind of move around first before they go into the herding. Yeah, I think I, I did look at getting mini Americans mm. and I kind of decided actually I, I really quite enjoy the herding aspect of it. And that's kind of yeah. why I got more collies. Um, but they are, collies are sensitive and mini Americans sensitive, but it's kind of different levels and different, different. types. And it's yeah. just that collies are more suited to, I've, I look, obviously I'm on my fourth collie now. I'm yeah. quite versed in what they're like and what they, they can be like. And yeah. I think changing for me it's a whole different ball game of sensitivities which I'm probably not the most suitable person for because yeah. <laughs> um, every every breed has its quirks in the same way that spaniels move constantly um it's just kind of picking what is the right set of quirks for you yeah um, and it's looking at the at the lines and the different families because between my two dogs one of them is really sensitive the other one is sensitive but in a controlling way so mm-hmm. whenever he gets a little bit wound up by something, he'll try and control the situation. Um, whereas my other one, if he gets worked up, he'll come for a cuddle. He's like, yeah. mommy, give me a cuddle. Oh. I need a cuddle. I need to cope. Um, but that will depend a lot on the lines that you have, on the breeding that they've had and how they were as puppies. You know, So if you have any puppy that is puppy culture reared, they're going to have a lot more skills at doing this kind of stuff than one that's farm raised. Yeah. Um, just purely because of the difference in that breeding aspect. And even within a litter, you'll have differences in the individuals between them. So sometimes it's not just about breed, just have a look at the different individuals you have within them. Cause we all have exceptions. You know, everyone's always heard of, I had a border collie and they never chased or herded anything. And I'm like, you've got a very exceptional collie there, yeah. but that's not yeah. your standard collie. <laughs> I think, yeah. And it's the same, I suppose it'll be the same with any breed, but you see these videos online of someone who's got this video of a collie doing all this amazing stuff, but you kind of, you look at it and you're like, wow, they're amazing. But then when you actually break it down, you think those are a video that is probably a minute and a half long of cherry-picked videos of a dog yeah. that has obviously been well-trained and is probably one of those one-in-a-million dogs that you get. Yeah. And it, it gives people that false sense of 
what they should do or they see a dog working in its natural environment so for collies out on a farm and they think oh that collie looks amazing it's so well trained it does everything that farmer says we'll get one but it's yeah. like apples and oranges it's completely different context completely different yeah. training it's completely different expectation absolutely and when it comes to herding in particular you know like some of the best working sheepdogs are ones that have had such little training because it's all in them you know the, the shepherds basically open the doors the collies go up and they run the sheep and they a lot of them don't need a huge amount of extra training to do that it's in them so you just kind of have to fine-tune it to what to what you want but that level of skill isn't going to be the same because it won't apply that to oh look they're amazing on this hill and herding these sheep so they're going to be amazing at heel work to music yeah or they're going to be great at agility it's a completely different skill set yeah yeah it is definitely oh so control the meerkat is where can people find out more about it at control the um we are relaunching our community because we have got a learning emporium and that we're setting up that's going to be packed full of ebooks and some extra courses um, for people to learn how to regulate, how to teach their dogs to self-regulate. We have got some quizzes coming up and um, that will be launched around the time that this podcast is released. Um, so you can find out how active your dog's meerkat is. And then we've got little courses and support to help you to help your dog with their meerkat. If they've got an active one, you can then find out which one of our five meerkats your dog is most likely to do. And then we've got extra support to help you in there. We have a little community um, very similar to your colleague collective where people can come on they can talk they can ask us questions they can meet the team and we have kind of monthly chats and things just to help support people and it's for pet owners it's for pet professionals um all are welcome within our community as long as you are you are safe and you accept everybody because we are very accessible community as well so we don't tolerate any kind of bullying or harassment <laughs> um obviously as most of us don't and we just want to help everyone for the welfare of dogs. And we find that if we start to help them control their meerkat, it makes a lot of the other training a lot easier because we have dogs that have the skills and the resilience to be able to self-regulate. So you can start putting them in different situations and know that they can cope with it because they have the skills to cope with it. Yeah, definitely. You also have your mentoring ship, which is... I do. I forgot about the mentorship um, one. Uh, professionals or dog professionals, I suppose, who are kind of looking to move forward in behavior and training and look at routes yeah. into CAB, which is an invaluable resource really yeah um so we meet kind of every week um for for most of the people on the levels and it's a place where if you're working with dogs and you just want to if you want to get some support if you want to learn how to become a CAB if you want someone to pass an eye over your cases and just learn more and get some confidence in what you're doing because it is such an isolating industry and really really want to kind of revolutionize the way that we that we work and make teamwork as the future approach so rather than everyone working individually so you know what team up you don't have to be a partnership with someone you don't have to join the business you can still have your business but work together collaborate you know share venues share your workload because it'll make our lives easier it means you're less inclined to burn out which then benefits the clients and the dogs which is why we're all here yeah Okay. No, I think it's brilliant. And I think it is, it's something that it kind of builds a sense of community and it's, it's, it's should be something that more trainers do. But I think like you said earlier, it's, it's quite difficult because people do get, it is their livelihood at the end of the day and people get yeah. protective about it, which it's rightly so, but yeah. I think there's, there's so many more benefits to working together as a team. Absolutely. Um, Cause you all have your strengths and weaknesses. I mean, even within our team, 
you know, there's a couple of people that specialize in border collies because that's their favorite. We have others that like northern breeds. We have some that like bull breeds. For some, it's their particular cases. So some love separation, others like resource guarding. So there's always going to be something within that you have a preference over. And if you can find someone that you can share that with and go, well, I'll take these cases, you take those ones. It just, it makes your workload a lot easier and keeps you happier. Exactly. And there'll always be things like, there's certain things that I don't particularly like to do. Mm -hmm. I know how to do it, but I don't like to do it. Yeah. Um, So having the team behind me to be able to actually, you take this, this isn't my question, is um, really, really useful. Absolutely. (laughs) I do apologise. My puppy, my um, Piper is still in my puppy's chew and he's now barking at her to try and say, (laughs) give it back. Um, which is not an effective strategy as I'm about to go tell him <laughs> anyway, anyway thank you so much for joining us no um, problem. really great and um, everybody head over to Control the Meerkat have a look we also have a link on our website the www.urbanherder.co.uk if you want to have a look at the work that we do along with Danny thank you so much for coming no problem it's been wonderful to have me thank you brilliant and I'll see you guys next week yeah we